Is Acts chapter 4, we're going to look at the first 12 verses. First, I'm I've entitled, Arrest and Interrogation. Follow along as I read. It says, as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on him and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how he was, this man was made well, let it be known to you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He was a stone which you uh, he was a stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You know, if you've been following the news over the last month, I'm sure you saw a lot of headlines regarding the arrest and indictment of former President Donald Trump. Alvin Bragg, the district attorney for the city of Manhattan, is fulfilling his campaign promise that if elected, he would prosecute the former president. Now, the case involves a non-disclosure agreement that the former porn star Stormy Daniels signed, wherein she promised not to disclose any information related to an alleged affair between her and President Trump. Alvin Bragg, the DA, is claiming that the former president used campaign donations to pay off Daniels and thus violated federal election laws. Now, this isn't the only lawsuit against President Trump. One article I read claimed that there's actually 20 lawsuits filed now that are working their ways through the courts, including one related to the January 6th Capitol riot, another related to the alleged election violation uh, laws of the laws in Georgia. The NAACP uh, is claiming that the pre former president uh, violated the voting Rights Act and the Reconstruction Ku Klux Klan Act. Now, for those who despise Trump, the response is something like, well, good, the man's a crook and a horrible human being. He deserves to be in prison for the rest of his life. But for those who support the president, and of course for Trump himself, this is a witch hunt designed to keep, them, keep him from running in the next presidential election. Well, whatever you think about the former president, whether you're someone who wants to see him sitting again in the Oval Office or sitting behind bars for the rest of his life, it seems hard to deny that much of what motivates this is political wrangling. Of course, if that's the case, the greater concern is not the outcome of the case for Donald Trump, but rather the damage that's being done to our whole justice system, indeed to the very concept of law and justice. I mean, Lady Justice is always presented as having a pair of scales in her hands, a sword in the other, with her eyes being blindfolded. Now, the scale represents the weighing out of facts to get at the truth, the sword represents the punishment meted out to those who are guilty. But the blindfold? Well, that represents the idea that Lady Justice does not look at the outward things, but only deals with the truth and the reality of the situation. 
You're not supposed to have an advantage or disadvantage depending on your situation in life. Your wealth, your political views, the color of your skin. Lady Justice doesn't look at those things. She's only concerned about what's true and right and just. Well, the problem of politicizing the justice system is nothing new. In every age, there are those who use power in the legal system to impose their will on others. But sometimes the facts are so clear and the case is so flimsy that despite the best efforts, those in charge are frustrated in their evil plans. Well, such was the case with the arrest of Peter and John after the healing of the lame man. For though the religious leaders were very upset and were trying to use the system to shut them down in their preaching, in the end they failed to achieve their goal and the message of the gospel continued to spread. Well, today we want to look at the arrest and the interrogation of Peter and John to see how they defended themselves and how God used it for, to further the cause of Christ. So why don't we pray and get into the text. Father God, I do pray for grace and mercy. Speak to us through your word so that we can live in ways that are pleasing to you. Give us understanding, but also give us uh, changes of heart and will and direction as a result of what we hear. So bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Well, the first thing that we see in the text is the arrest, and that's verses 1 to 4. By the way, have you ever, or anyone in your family ever been arrested? I mean, how do you feel when you see a flashing light of a police car coming up behind you? Panic? Dread? Do you hope and pray that the squad car is going to pass you by and go after that Corvette that just zoomed past you? But no, he's on your tail. He pulls you over. You take out your license and registration. Wait for him to come to the car, which takes a while because he's running your license plates. Now, I don't know if Peter and John ever were arrested before, but if not, they were going to have their first run-in with the law. I mean, having healed the lame man and preached the gospel... Uh, to those who witnessed the miracle, we read this. And as they were speaking the people, to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because of, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on him, put him in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Now in the Gospels, you'll find that the run-ins that Jesus has with the religious leader is primarily with the party of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the ultra-Orthodox Jewish group of that day who saw themselves as the guardian of their religion. Now, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, who himself belonged to this party, there were some 6,000 Pharisees at the time of Jesus. But here the ones who show up to arrest Peter and John are the Sadducees. They were the party of the priests who were in charge of the temple service. They were wealthy, they were worldly, and they were well-connected. They made their money off the temple, which explains why they were so upset with Jesus a couple of years before that when he overturned the money tables uh, inside the temple. Well, many times when Christians are arrested for witnessing and preaching, the charge that's brought against them is disturbing the peace. A number of years ago, there were four Christian evangelists uh, who were in Dearborn, Michigan. They were handing out tracts at the Arab Festival. Well, a number of the Muslims who were there got upset with them and started pelting them with things. And, of course, the police came to break up the scuffle and arrested the four Christian evangelists and let the others go. Well, they sued for violation of their free speech and free exercise of religion rights. And the, and the mayor uh, originally backed uh, the Muslim protesters at the time. But they settled before it went to court, and they agreed to pay them an undisclosed amount of money and also to offer a public apology through the newspapers. But I have to say that was done in 2010. I would guess today if it happened, it would not be the same results. Well, we're told... 
that the people, it wasn't the people who were upset, but rather the Sadducees themselves. It says it was they who were greatly disturbed because Peter and John were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Two things seem to really bother the priests at this point. The fact that the apostles are teaching at all bothered them. I mean, they're the religious leaders. They're the ones who are supposed to instruct the people. You know, one time in England, you could be arrested for preaching without a license. The English Parliament passed what was known as the Act of Uniformity back in 1662. It required that all pastors conform to the practices and beliefs laid out in the Book of Common Prayer. Many Puritans refused because they said they believed that these practices violated the Scripture. So 2,500 pastors were ejected from their churches all on the same day. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he was arrested for preaching without a license. They offered to let him out of jail if he promised not to preach again. He refused and he stayed in jail for the next 12 years. He preached to the people through the window of his jail cell. And by the way, he said the hardest part for him by far was the fact that he had one daughter who was blind. And I, he said, I wasn't there to care for her. Folks, that's called conviction. Well, the government doesn't have the right to tell us whether or not we're allowed to preach the gospel. I, for one, am thankful for the separation of church and state. But it's, it's not just that they were preaching, but what they were preaching that was bothering them, the content that enraged the Sadducees. You see, unlike the Pharisees, the Sadducees only held to the first five books of the Bible as being authoritative. They didn't believe in angels and spirits. They didn't uh, believe in a future resurrection from the dead. They didn't even believe in the immortality of the soul. They said you die and you just simply cease to exist. So if you don't believe in a, any kind of resurrection and certainly don't want people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, you know, the authorities don't like it when you go against their established narratives. Haven't we learned that in the last three years with the COVID pandemic? Doctors who didn't go along with the narrative that was pushed by the CDC were denounced and threatened with a loss of their license. They were accused of spreading misinformation. PBS just recently did a documentary where they showed Dr. Fauci with D.C. Mayor, Mayor Muriel Bowser. And they're going around to black neighborhoods trying to convince people to get the vaccine. This was back around 2020. And they show one uh, clip where the educated doctor is urging a family to get the jab. But the woman said this, well, I heard that it doesn't cure it and it doesn't stop you from getting it. No, said Mr. Fauci. On the very, very rare chance that you do get it, even if you're vaccinated, you don't even feel sick. It's not like you even know that you're infected. Well, two years later, we know that this woman was right and Dr. Fauci, Mr. Science, was wrong. The Sadducees' position was there is no resurrection. So Jesus could not have rose from the dead. The disciples' position was, well, you're wrong because he did rise from the dead and we are witnesses of it. So take that. It takes courage, though, to speak the truth to power and to stand up for what's right rather than give in to the social pressure being used against you. In the last few years, we've seen some Christian pastors uh, stand up when the government was insisting that they shut down their churches. They were good shepherds who protected their flocks. Others, though, some even well-known and previously highly respected pastors, have shown themselves to be mere hirelings. When the wolves came to scatter the sheep, they left them. They closed down some churches for two full years. Well, it says in verse 3, and it says, And they laid hands on him, and they put him in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Ah, this will shut up those rabble-rousers and put an end to this movement. Well, they might be able to gag and tie them and put them in jail, 
but they can't slow the spread of the gospel because look what it says in verse 4. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be 5,000. That's just the men, not the wives and children. Now, maybe you can keep a good man down, but you can't keep good news from spreading. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That brings us to our second point, though, the interrogation. This is found in verses 5 to 7. We read this. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas. By the way, Caiaphas was Annas' son-in-law. And John and Alexander were his sons. And they were all who were of the high priestly descent. So these are the religious big shots, the who's who in Judaism of that day. By the way, these are the same people that Jesus stood before on trial just about a month and a half before this. Reminds me of Martin Luther standing before the Diet of Worms in April 17, 1521. That's 502 years ago. Pope Leo X at first wrote, Luther off is just another drunken, grumpy German monk. But after a while, he realized that he better deal with this wild boar that was loose in his garden. Luther was ordered to appear before the Diet Council. Assembled there to hear him was uh, Emperor Charles V, along with many of the nobles. Bringing the case against Luther was the Roman Catholic prelate, uh, Johann Eck. Now, Eck portrayed Luther as an arrogant heretic. I mean, thinking that he alone was right when the popes and all the councils were wrong. Luther's books were laid out before him, and he was asked if he would renounce these writings. And Martin Luther responded by saying this, Unless I'm convinced by the testimony of Scripture, or by clear reason, for I do not trust either the Pope or the councils alone, since it's well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scripture I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot, I will not recant anything, since it's neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. And so was born the Protestant Reformation and the reclamation of the Gospel. But long before Luther faced the religious leaders of his day, Peter and John faced the leaders of Jerusalem and theirs. And says in verse 7, When they placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Well, if they had been listening to the sermon the day before, they would have known by what power Jesus told the man right as he healed him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Their question reminds me, though, of these same religious leaders when they were confronting Jesus in the temple after he cleansed it. They asked, by what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus said, okay, I'm going to ask you a question, which if you tell me, I will answer your question, by what authority I do this? The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they said, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, if we say that it was from heaven, he's going to say, well, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say that it's from men, the crowds are going to stone us because they think John's a prophet. Oh, I got an idea. Watch. We don't know. Oh, well, then I'm not going to tell you. And he walks away. Jesus doesn't play games, word games, with people who are not interested in the truth. Well, Peter's not hiding anything. He isn't worried that they'll find out who he's working for, who's backing him, who's funding him. I mean, he's not on the payroll for Big Pharma. He isn't getting grants from George Soros and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. There's no dark money. There's no hidden agenda. He's a spokesman for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, if these boys had been from Brooklyn, Peter would have said something like this. What are you talking about? I mean, you're talking to me? You want to know by what power and by what name these healings were done? Well, listen up, because I'm going to tell you straight up. Okay, are you listening? That brings us to the next 
thing we find in the text, though. Their defense, and this is in verses 8 to 12. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we want to camp on that for just a second. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, but when they hand you over, don't worry about what you will say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it's not you who speak, but it's the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, Jesus said this, When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now let's see if Jesus makes good on his promise as the Spirit and power of Peter turns the tables on him so that he's no longer the defendant, but the prosecuting attorney. He says this, He said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man was made well, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here in good health. Al Pacino in one of his movies, I think it was done in the 70s, it's entitled uh, Injustice for All. He plays a lawyer defending a corrupt judge who's actually accused of raping a young girl. And even though he's defending Judge Fleming, he comes to believe that Fleming is in fact guilty. And so in one dramatic moment in the trial, he turns and he points to his own client and he says, my client, the Honorable Henry T. Fleming, should go right to jail. He's guilty. That man is a slime. If he's allowed to go free, there's something wrong here. The courtroom erupts and shouts and yelling. The the judge slams down his gavel and says, you're out of order. But the defense attorney points back to the presiding judge and says, you're out of order. You're out of order. This whole court's out of order. Well, this kangaroo court, which illegally tried and convicted Jesus, is starting down the same path again. The apostles have done nothing wrong and everything right. And Peter wants to make sure we frame the indictment correctly. He said, we're on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man as to how he was made well. One woman doctor during the COVID lockdown was fired from her job for prescribing and successfully treating her patients with ivermectin. You remember that horse dewormer stuff. Well, if the goal is to make billions of dollars for the pharmaceutical companies who are charging $140 a shot, you can't have doctors trading patients with medicine that costs less than 40, 40 cents a treatment. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. But it wasn't alternative medicine or a brilliant doctor who healed this lame man. It was Jesus himself. Look at this in verse 10. He said, Let it be known to, all, to you and all the people of Israel that it's by the name of Jesus, the Nazarene whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, it's by this name that the man stands here before you in good health. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. Jesus, the guy from Nazareth, you fellows uh, killed, but God raised him from the dead. Yeah, Jesus which means you're in big trouble. For in doing so, they were actually fulfilling a prophecy that they would do just what they did. Because he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. There was a story that had been passed down from the time of the construction of the temple in Solomon's day. They uh, had to quarry the stones from a long way away, cut them, because they were not supposed to cut them on site. And so they would cut them, and then they would load them on barges, and they'd send them down, and then they would ship them across. And on one of the occasions when they did this, as they were loading them up, they had one stone. Mm, I don't need that one. They threw it aside. And then when they got all the stones to the temple area, they found out that they were missing the cornerstone, the one that sets everything. 
they went back to the quarry and found out that the builders had tossed it aside as worthless. That's what happened with Jesus. He was the chief cornerstone on which the whole edifice of God's temple in the truest sense was going to be built. But they, as the religious leaders, cast him aside as worthless. In verse 12 it says, And there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when it comes to religion, America is increasingly pluralistic. Did you know that according to Pew Research, even as recently as 1990, over 90% of Americans identified as Christians. Today, that number is down to 63%, and it's dropping fast. Many, particularly among the young, are unaffiliated with any religion. They call themselves the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. But the religious landscape of America is also changing as a result of immigration. A number of years ago, Suzanne and I were driving by the town of Farmington, Minnesota, and I looked out into a cornfield, and I was shocked. There was a giant Buddhist temple. I could not believe it. Minneapolis Council, just a week ago, voted to allow the Muslim call to prayer to be broadcast by the loudspeakers five times a day in the city year-round. It's the first city in America to do so. Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Now, it's kind of a gentleman's agreement that no one should criticize another person's religion, unless, of course, your religion is Christianity. As the bumper sticker says, we need to coexist. So whatever you do, at least if you're a Christian, you need to refrain from saying things like there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Do you know know how offensive those are to modern ears? Those are fighting words. That's hate speech. The highest form of arrogance and bigotry. I mean, with millions of sincere Muslims and loyal Hindus faithfully following their religion, how can you dare say that Jesus is the only person who can bring you to reconciliation with God? But you have to understand, that's not just our claim. That's not just Peter's claim. That's Jesus' claim for himself. In John 14, 6, he said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said that. And you either believe that or you don't. If you do, you'll seek salvation through him, through his death on the cross as the payment for your sins. If you do not believe it, you may choose another religion or no religion whatsoever, but you will perish in your sins. Do you know what the end goal is for all the hate speech legislation? It's to define witnessing as a form of hate speech and thus to make it illegal to proclaim the gospel. In Canada, they had hate speech laws about 15 years before we did. The member of parliament who put it forward was a homosexual. And when he was asked on the floor of the parliament, if this bill passes, could the Bible be deemed hate speech and outlawed? And he refused to answer the question. Now, why would he refuse? Because if he said no, then it would be on record that it was never the intent to outlaw the Bible for this. If he said yes, it would be obvious what the point of this was. So he said nothing, and they passed it anyway. Now, just as it's happened in other countries someday soon, it's likely to be the case that we face the possibility of arrest and jail time for proclaiming that there's salvation in no one else. The religious leaders' problem ultimately was not with the apostles, but with the message that they preached. 
They persecuted them because they hated Jesus. And you remember what Jesus told us? If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, for this reason the world hates you. Remember the words that I spoke to you? A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep your word. But all these things they will do for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else had done, they would have no sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law that they hated me without a cause. John 15, 18 to 25. Christians are called in our country right-wing, narrow-minded, hate-filled, homophobic, transphobic bigots. People hate Christians because they hate Christ. Jesus said they hate me because they hate my Father also. But if they do not turn to this Christ that they hate, they will perish. For there is salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. If you're not a Christian today, you need to turn to Christ. Don't tell yourself you'll do it later. You don't know that you have a later. I had a girl I worked with at one of the restaurants I was at. I think I was 15 at the time. I was just a busboy. I think I worked with Jenny on Friday night, and she was supposed to be there Saturday morning. 7 o'clock. She wasn't there. 7.30. I finally asked somebody, I said, what happened with Jenny? I know, isn't she here? She's sick. No, she died last night. She was 16. She went to bed and had a brain aneurysm. It was dead in an eternity before the morning. Plus, after a lifetime of hardening your heart to the truth, is it likely that you're suddenly going to soften? The Bible says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says this, For God says, At the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. On the other hand, if you already are a Christian, you need to proclaim Christ. His death is the only payment for sin, and his resurrection is the only way to conquer death. And if the time comes when they arrest you for proclaiming the gospel, you can rest assured in the words of Hebrews 13, 5 to 6. For God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I won't be afraid. What can your mortals do to me? We must proclaim the risen Christ to a perishing world. Come what may. And may God give us the grace to do just Father and God, the church in America needs to rise up and proclaim the truth. We need to stop doing entertainment in our churches and playing games. We need to train people in how to handle the scripture and to proclaim the gospel to a perishing nation. We need courage, Lord, because the day is going to come, and probably not too distant in the future, where we're going to face arrest for this very thing. Well, Lord, that's just going to give us opportunities to witness the people in prison and before courts and authorities. 
And you told us we had to make up our minds ahead of time, not even to prepare anything, because you're going to give us the words we need just at that time. So I pray, Lord, that you prepare us. Let us make use of the time and the freedom that we have left uh, for the day that comes, which is going to be difficult days, but they can be glorious days if we're trusting you. So bless us now. 